Norman Cook, thanks for speaking to Casual Swim. Uh, thanks for caring. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions. Um, and so the first one's quite a big one, but um, yeah, do you care about the context in which your music is created or is it for your own self-expression? Yeah. That's an enormous question. To I know, start I with. know. Yeah, sorry, mate. Do I, I care yeah, about yeah. the context? Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not that precious about the music that I make. I mean, I've, I've always said, I've thought that the music I make is quite throwaway because I'm just, it's quite, you know, it's not lyrically very uh, meaningful and a lot of it's kind of just loops and snatches and samples. So it, for me, it's, it's there just to be danced to and to make you smile. And, you know, it's, it's for, I've always said my music's for the hips, not for the head. And so I'm not really precious about it. Um, but if you're talking about sort of advertising and, and, and film syncs, and I, I, I've always, I've never had a problem with advertising unless it's somebody that's advertising something that I don't agree with. I think, you know, music and advertising is kind of the most cultural reference of pop culture. You know, you people, they don't have to pay to hear it. Well, yeah. no one has to pay to hear anything. But in the old days, I used to say, you don't have to go and buy the record. You can hear it for free on the advert, you know. And, um, and I, I, yeah, so it's just part of the, in the same way that art shouldn't be just in art galleries, it should be on the walls in the streets so everyone can see it for free. Mm. I think adverts are the same as that. And then film syncs, I, I really love, again, if it's a good film. Yeah. Have you done um, a few films or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I've, I've, I've allowed my work to be used in a lot of films. Yeah. I've worked on, I've worked on Moulin Rouge with Baz Luhrmann and um, I had a, uh, I've always loved the, the, the way that music works with film in storytelling. It can, the right piece of music can elevate a scene or a person or a theme. And, and also, on the inversely, the, the music can come alive when it's been, when you've seen it in a film like, you know, last night I played Born Slippy. And Born Slippy will never sound the same to me after seeing it in train spotting. just the, yeah. the, the evocative nature so yeah I've always and I've, I really love film so when people say what's your on your bucket list the one thing I would love to do is score a really uh, a really good film but it would have to be a really good film yeah what I'll, would be I'll allow odd tunes to be used in films okay, even right. if they I don't believe in them but yeah no it'd be like a Coen Brothers film okay yeah like okay that. amazing yeah and I got yeah I got close-ish I worked with Julian Temple on a documentary about Ibiza and I, I was the but I ended up not really writing a huge amount because I'm not really in that mode. I was just musical director. And, but I, I loved working. I mean, obviously, Julian Temple, I really respect anyway. And he taught me so much about, yeah, how you tell a story with, with, with sound, not just the music, with the foley and everything, you know. So it was, um, yeah, that's something I'm very, very interested in. So in answer to your original question, I do care about the context, but I'm <laughs> yeah. not precious about it. Fair I don't. It's a good answer, um, yeah. But then, you know, if politicians that I don't like yeah. try and use right here, right now in their political speeches, I'm, I'm down on Has them. that been done before? Or? Oh, yes. Who, oh, yeah. what, the Tories or the Labour? The Tories, yeah. we've had to st put a stop to them. Yeah. Tony Blair, I had to... Really? I had yeah. to pick Tony Blair up. But yeah, well, yeah. I mean, generally, my, yeah. my political affiliations would be more with, on the left of yeah, the course, yeah. party. But um, no, it was around the time of the Iraq war and he tried to uh, use it in their... Um, in their uh, uh, 
a convention. Okay. And I, that's a really weird one, you know, trying to threaten the Prime Minister. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, stop it, Tony, stop <laughs> yeah, it, Blair. Exactly. Um, um, okay, amazing. Yeah, that's the only thing that, because then, because the connotations, that's the only thing, yeah, that's the only thing I'm really precious about, yeah. is politics. Yeah, fair enough. Do you consider timelessness with your music? Like, what, it'll, like we'll, what it will sound like in five, 10, 15 years time? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I, Famously, when I was having yeah. really big hits with Fatboy Slim, mm. I famously said, look, this is just, you know, it's just throwaway dance music. It's not meant to be listened to in 20 years' time. Yeah. And I was kind of proved wrong. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember Tom and Ed, the Chemical Brothers, who were really good mates of mine, they yeah. picked me up, they said, you can't say that. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's kind of how I feel. And they said, well, you don't know. Yeah. Um, but roll on 25 years mm. and, and praise you and right here, right now, still seem to resound yeah. mm. and they seem to have legs and still yeah the i don't know the kind of the mood or the theme of them seems to be timeless so yeah i mean i suppose most people when you're making music i don't know whether you know lennon mccartney or you know sort of great songwriters they go oh, i'm gonna i want to write a timeless hit yeah i know you know if as soon as you start trying to write a hit you end up probably not writing a hit. And as, as, as the minute you try and say, I'm going to write something that's going to be last 40, 50 years, yeah. you're probably not. It's normally the B side. <laughs> it's normally when, you've, when you think you've made the hit and then you're me messing around, that's when you do something that's really popular or really timeless. So I don't ever try and do timeless stuff. I try and effortlessly do it by mistake. Yeah, okay, that's, that's amazing. Um, so I guess kind of going back to the start, where did you find your like sound or voice originally? Um, can you tell us like, yeah, what was like, there's a, a world of music out there. What was like the hardware and where did you say like, or where did you hypothesize that that's the kind of music you want to make? It's weird, yeah. well, it's weird because I didn't have a sound or a voice for a huge amount of my career. Mm. I. I grew up as a as a suburban white kid who liked black music. Yeah. And in what those kind, days, yeah. what kind of stuff? Yeah. I liked uh, yeah. soul music, like you know, Atlantic mm. stack soul. Yeah. I like gospel. I like old blue beat and ska. Anything sort of old and black and scratchy. And then mm. obviously funk music. Then at that time was just turning into hip hop. But I was a white suburban kid in growing up in Surrey in mm. England. You know, it's like, and I just didn't think it was. Mm. my heritage but that's what I always played as a DJ and that's what I always loved but when it came to making music I ended up in a in a white indie pop band yeah because um, I felt that was where I you know I belonged uh, but I didn't really I it wasn't that wasn't my voice it was Paul Heaton wrote the songs and he wrote brilliant songs and I just played bass on them and I didn't really it wasn't the sort of music I would listen to at home I'd go home and I'd be listening to Snook Siegling yeah and blues records and um, so for a great chunk of my musical career I didn't feel that I should be uh, playing the music that I really loved because it wasn't my music yeah but then hardware uh, intervened because they invented the drum machine and the sampler what was the first drum machine and sampler you had yeah first drum machine ad was an 808 because they were the cheapest that's like a hip, kind of a hip hop sound, right? The yeah. 808 is yeah. the classic. Yeah. yeah, the 909 is the house. Yeah, one. So you started on the 
808 like kind of it's got the really yeah. big boomy click yeah, uh, kick yeah. it's got this weird sort of clucky rim yeah. and the hand claps you've heard on every single hip-hop record mm -hmm. ever if you think sort of you know trap records and things like that they're just straight up 808 so i had one of them because they were really cheap okay, right, yeah. and i i had a sampler uh Roland SE1, I think it was. No, an S, S10, Roland S10, which had four seconds of memory. Wow. You know, four seconds you could get like one kick drum, one snare drum and two hi-hats, or you could get one very short musical loop. But you could only have that, and, and that really limited what I could do. But it allowed me to make dance records without having to pretend to be black. Because before that, if you wanted, if you were a white guy and you like, like so, you had to be like simply red or level forty-two, and you know, and put on American accents and stuff like that, and that never that didn't sit very well with me. So, yeah, as soon as I could, so when I was in the house buyers, I could afford to buy, start buying a little home studio thing, and I just started making these sort of mashup records and hip hop records using this other stuff. And when that music started getting into the charts. I was like, all my mates who I'd been DJing with for years, like Cold Cut and Tim Simonon, and they, all of them started having hits. And I was like, I'm stuck in this pop band, hating the music that we played. So that was when my big shift. So I left the house buttons and then started doing remixes and started Beats International. So, and that was the first time it was really, I felt it was my voice I was using before. It was Paul Heaton's voice and I was just in the backing band. Yeah. And then, so that was sort of phase two. And then, but I was still trying to write songs and I was try, still trying to be in bands and write melodies and, uh, uh, and you know, yeah, songs, pop songs. And so I did that for about another 10 years with Beats International and Freak Power. And then one day I just had this light bulb moment that more people wanted to come and hear me DJ than wanted to see me play and see my band play. And then I wouldn't have to worry about drummers always being late and trying to get off with my girlfriend and you know, yeah, yeah. all that stuff that yeah. happens in bands. Yeah. So I, yeah, I sort of made my final slot and that's when I found my voice and my sound and my thing, which is just to be me and a sampler and a drum machine, just chopping up bits of other people's records and having fun. And, and that was like my sort of, but that was like 20 years into my career yeah, okay. before I had that light bulb moment yeah. that forget trying to write traditional songs just write those little loops that you hear in your head yeah. and stop pretending to be a musician just to say I'm a DJ, you know, I'm a DJ producer, I'm not a, yeah. a bass player or a guitarist. So you don't still want call you'd call yourself a DJ now as opposed to a Yeah, producer? on my passport yeah. I used to say DJ producer, but these days I'm just a DJ, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I'm a disc jockey. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Amazing. Um a disc jockey doesn't play discs anymore. Yeah, that's true, right? Yeah. Plays the right of it. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, that's that's incredible. Going back to some of those, like uh, your music production process, like how do you go about like finding samples? Like, because I'm kind of getting into production now, and I just like so. What do you start with? Like, what what are your like? Do you start with the drums, or do you start with the melody, or do you? Yeah, I don't do an awful lot of it anymore, but yeah. uh, and it's changed because the technology has changed so much since I I wasn't doing it full time as a job. Yeah. Generally, I always start with a hook. Because anyone can make a beat, and you make a beat, and you got a beat, and then you think, oh, this is a good beat. How do I make it more interesting? And then, then you realise that's the most difficult bit. So do the difficult bit first, and have a hook. 
So what, what do you mean by a hook? Like kind of the chorus the or bit, like the, the loop? Yeah. I, start, I started yeah. my, first, my one and only honest job in, in life was working in a record shop. And people would go, and it was a record shop that specialised in club music. So people would come in and they go, what's that tune that they play, like Rory's playing at Coasters? And unless I knew what Rory's big tunes were, because I'd sort of keep in touch with the DJs, yeah. I'd go, can you sing it? And he'd go, it's the one that goes, dung, 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 you know, and then, but it's got, but if it was, a, if they said it was the one that goes, this native love is restless and I'm just not satisfied, you've got to have a, like a vocal hook or a tune hook, or they, they go, the one goes, it's like, ah, oh, that's res by Underworld. Um, so that's the hook. It can be, normally for me, it's a vocal hook. It's a sample. It's the thing when you're trying to describe the song to someone in a record shop to buy it. That's what you think. But it also, it's the thing that lures people in. Now, if you're, if you're making sort of purist techno music, you know, and there'll be all these guys who are going to really get off on the snare sound that you've got, you know, fucking, yeah, listen to that. And how crunchy is that clap? They're kind of a very niche audience where I try to appeal to more people. And more people, we've grown up tuning our ears to pop music. So you want to have a pop hook in it. So for me, that's the, the basis, is if, if you've got a hook that people are going to remember and it, it draws people in, then you can, you, you, the drum beats are easy, you know, and bass lines are easy. Yeah. It's the hook that's the most important. So where do, you, where do you find the, those hooks? Like, where, do you go, like, what's your process to being like, I generally something? borrow them off other people. Okay, fair enough. I generally yeah. hear something. Yeah. And, and you go, fuck, that would be great. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll hear something you know, in, in a shop or something, or yeah. I used to just crate dig. I just used to buy up, go to every, when I was on tour, yeah. like now I would be out in the local record shops just crate digging and just buying tons of, tons of shitty records, especially when I first started playing a lot in America, I'd just go around thrift stores and just buy all these records for 49 cents each. And just on the hope there might be one drum beat in there or one little acapella snatch or something, you know, that I could use. So it's, uh, yeah, it just, it's like a collage. Yeah. If you're a collage artist, you collect tons of old magazines and bits of or bits of china or whatever. You know, you just get all the you have them there, and then you just sort of make them, fashion them into something. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, it's generally a found sound. You know, like a piece of of, uh, of talking that you could make a rhythm out of, like. You know, right about now, the Funk Soul Brother wasn't. It wasn't a song. Where did, where did that come about? That, that was that, Lord yeah. Finesse. Yeah. Okay. Right. Lord yeah. Finesse introducing a bootleg, like breakbeat album of just like looped up beats, and he he was mates with the person who'd done it, and he just said, right about now, it's no other than than Lord Finesse, the Funk Soul Brother, and right about now, welcome to the world of um, the tracks of the Vinyl Dogs, Volume Two. And so it was just a, like a throwaway jingle that he did. You're like, I'll and then yeah, I just, yeah. I just like, I just heard right about now and the Funk Soul Brother, and just thought, if you sample them, you can make a rhythm out of it. And he didn't actually even say right about now the Funk Soul. He said right about now, it's no other than the Funk Soul Brother. But that didn't it. work for me. So okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think things like that. So it's yeah. found, mm. found sounds, and some are just a straight, you know, rip yeah. of an acapella, mm. um, clips from films, things like that. Yeah. You just hear, normally for, with me, it's, it's repeated phrases. It's you, memes or yeah, tropes. Okay. Yeah, you know, okay. Right here, right now. Yeah. 
um, yeah. what the fuck. <laughs> it's yeah. Just a, yeah. And, no, and then just repeat them over and over and over again until they have some context. Okay, right. Amazing. Um, so, I guess if we look at current like trends in music and we can say like, I don't know, German techno slash deep house is having its day in the sun. Um, do you take note of like trending sounds and stuff or you just kind of do your own thing a little bit? Yeah. It's, that's a strange one. I mean, probably one of the reasons why I don't produce music anymore is sometimes I feel my age and, you know, I've got kids and I'll do something and they go, yeah, it sounds really 90s, Dad. And, you know, it's like, ooh. And so to get on, I think around the time of like dubstep, I'm like, you know what? I should be playing this, but I really, it really doesn't turn me on enough okay. and I respect it, but... I'm not going to, you know, I'm just, I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah, okay, and so I keep an ear on everything that's happening, but not religiously. But obviously as a DJ, you spend three, four afternoons a week just going through all the new stuff you've been sent, yeah. trawling the internet, looking for new tunes. So you're listening to everything that's coming out. Yeah. But I, I try not to just jump on trends. So I think of all my mates who jumped on drug, dubstep. And then two years later, they're like trying to claw their way back into the house fraternity. And everyone's going, oh, you've been playing that kid's music, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the fashions come and go. At my age, I'm, A, I'm too old to follow fashions. And B, I think, uh, I think to exist longevity, don't follow fashions. You have to just stick with what you do. And you'll, you, you sort of nod to what's going on, but don't be a slave to it. Because then you're, then you're always just following everybody else. I've kind of got a, a, a solid groove that I like yeah. and I'll listen to most kinds of music and uh, I'm not sort of exclusive saying I just play tech house and I suppose probably what I play as a DJ is mainly tech house but I'll borrow from other things but yeah I, I, I'm too old to try and keep up with fashion. Fair enough but I don't think it's necessarily an age thing I just think it's like if you if you're chameleon quite a bit then you'll just lose like your what you started off with and your own sound, you know. Not not you in particular, but yeah, you just keep well, my, and changing. Yeah, my whole my yeah. whole ethos came yeah. from Grandmaster Flash. Mm. I, that was why I started getting into DJing rather than just being a record collector. Who wanted to, you know, the, the idea of mixing and scratching and cutting, chopping bits up. And there was just one. It, 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 this is pre-internet, so no one really knew. I only saw Grandmaster Flash because he was supporting the Clash, and I went to see the Clash. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing with the turntables? <laughs> yeah. And but there was no information. But there was this one interview. That I really wish I could go back and find again. And it, it, he just laid out how he DJed. He said, obviously, I don't do all the scratching all night. He said, I play the classics for the first hour, you know, and then I do. Then we do. Then we get the MCs on, and we do a bit. Of, then I do my quick stuff. He said, and then we have a bit of chill out. He said, and then, you know, and then I'll do the erection section at the end. So it's like, <laughs> erection section, yeah. it was, uh, he was still a DJ and he, he said, I'd, you know, I BPM all the records and I'd set my crate in BPM order so you can move up through the BPMs. And I, mm. so I did that. So I went out and BPM'd all my records yeah. and that was how I, so I'd got so much off him. But what he, what he did say was he said, you can't be just cool and just cutting up breakbeats all night. He said, you've got to give people what they want. He said, but the best thing to do is be playing a beat that's really cool, but just give them snatches of something that they know. And everyone goes, hey, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. Say, then go back to your beat. Yeah. And that's kind of what I do. So the way I would follow fashion is my daughter, you yeah. know, there's something on TikTok. 
that go, you know, like yeah. some Drake hook or something like that. Yeah. And so I just take that bit and then mm. drop, drop that in the middle of the of the acid house tune okay, that I wanted yeah. to play anyway. Yeah, yeah. And give them <laughs> it gets a bit cheer and then we go, let's have it, you know. Yeah, so nice, rather nice, than yeah. so yeah. I'm yeah, just reference points. And yeah. that's what Grandmaster Flash said. He just said you just play mm. you know, the play the hook. Yeah. Play the hook from from um, another one bites the dust. Mm. And, and play then, the bass line, everyone gets it, and yeah. then you go off on something else. So yeah, it's a bit like that. A bit of like a magpie. Nice, nice. Um so with collaboration, um, when you're producing your music, how do you go about that? Like, I guess let's just take like Toe Jam uh, with David Byrne, for example. Uh, David Byrne found me. He found you? Yeah. yeah okay. Well, we bumped into each other a couple of times and I think yeah. I'd impressed on him mm. how much of a fan I was. Okay, did you just, he did was you fanboy? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I told him that. Yeah. And he, basically he was writing a, um, he was writing a, a, a musical about the life of Imelda Marcos. And obviously being David Byrne, he wasn't gonna do it, it wasn't gonna be the normal way. So he was like thinking, right, nothing to do with shoes. It's all about how she spent all the US foreign aid money in Studio 54, hanging out with all the friends in New York, ignoring her own country. So he said, I'm gonna set it in Studio 54 and it was all, it'd be all about that. So then he was trying to, but then he was thinking, but if we made it, up to date, where would she be now if she was still in power and still had, the, had that, all access to that money? And he said, he said, he said she'd be in Ibiza. <laughs> she'd yeah. be at Manumission in yeah. Ibiza. So he looked up, who's the, who's the resident DJ at Manumission in Ibiza? Saw my name, went, oh, ah, that's that guy I keep meeting who really likes me. <laughs> okay, yeah. He's quite funny. Yeah. So he just rang me up and said, do you want to write a musical together? And you were like, hell, fuck And I went, it's a bit like, can you ride a horse? I went, yeah, fine. Yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. yeah. Knew nothing about it. But okay, right, yeah. he uh, taught me through it. And it, yeah, so that's yeah. how that came about. Um, What's he just, like in the studio and stuff? Yeah. Oh, he's beautiful. Okay, he's, right, he's, yeah. He, yeah. out of all the people I've ever collaborated with, he mm. is just, because he, he gives off an air of being really clever and really awkward. Mm. And he is really clever, but he's not awkward. He's really funny. Okay, right, but yeah. he's really good at, at making everything just fun. It's just like, well, let's, you know, yeah. we could do it that way. Yeah. But let's have a, you know, yeah. but everything, but his sense of humor, mm. as well as his sense of the absurd or, yeah. the, you know. So I, I, I it was, a, it's just a pleasure to work with. He just mm. makes you laugh the whole time. And yeah. He makes you, but he makes you think mm. more cerebrally about what you're doing. Okay, and, right. But he's aware that there's got to be a hook. Okay, yeah, yeah, he, he knows still that. knows about the hook. Yeah. Well, he said, well, he said probably our affinity is we're two of these gawky white kids yeah. who like all these black rhythms. Yeah, okay. Because he yeah. loves Brazilian rhythms and African yeah. rhythms. And he said, and it's like, we've both been trying to work out how they, this, you know, skinny, gawky white kid yeah. plays, plays this music. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, most of them, it's just, most of my collaborations have been people that I, who are gods to me, mm. and then we meet, and then I can't, you know, yeah. Like Iggy Pop just turned up in my dressing room yeah. one day at a gig, and I'm like, "What the hell are you doing?" He said, <laughs> yeah. he said "I came to check you out, and I've heard about you." And I was like, Ooh. "So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just sort of fanboy moments, because yeah, because basically, I had this trilogy of David Byrne, Bootsy Collins, and Iggy Pop, and that's like they're my three heroes wow, in, okay, in yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. And I got to work with all three of them, so that that was beautiful. Yeah. And then beyond that, I don't know, I don't really go searching them out. They sort of fall into your lap. It's like a yeah. friend or someone someone, okay, someone yeah. you've been work, you know, doing something else with and then... Yeah. But I don't sort of... Um, 
seek out collaborations. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I guess the next thing's around like your creative approach, and we've kind of touched on music making, um, but let's just take like your live show and DJing. Um, do you have a, like a structured format to how you're gonna like uh, like prep for a show, or is it kind of like you just drop stuff into a crate, or like yeah, what's the process for doing a live show and like your DJ sets and stuff? Uh, the process is obviously you have a crate. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You have to have a crate and. Mm. I've got like a sort of um, template crates, yep. like arena show. Okay, right, yeah, okay. <laughs> arena show, yeah. uh, four hour show, yeah. uh, party, mm. if I'm doing like a, a charity party or something okay, like that, yeah, sort of accessible. Yeah. So yeah. I've got like template crates, yeah. and, or a, a trip like this, it'll be like sort of New Zealand the current shows. New Zealand okay. thing, yeah. but we, use, we do, do most of the gigs are production gigs, so we got the visuals, so they're the big tunes. So yeah, and then you just, literally um just like an hour before the show normally i'd get to the show mm. go and have a little sniff of the crowd see what the do they recognize they obviously recognize you and stuff right or yeah oh no i'd sort of hide behind the oh, oh, okay right i literally yeah. just i just okay. go and i just yeah just watch them for just see what the the vibe is what the dj before me is playing yeah where i think do you, it, do you it take feels, note of what clothes they're wearing that kind of stuff or is it more just like I to get know. a general it's vibe a weird, from, it's yeah, weird yeah. It's a weird yeah. instinct mm. that I just trust. Now yeah. it's just you just feel the energy of the room. Yeah. The only thing probably that you're really looking for is age. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's a younger crowd, that dictates where you're going. And if you yeah. sometimes with me especially, yeah. in different countries, you know, sometimes I'll have mm. a crowd of people who grew up with me and they're now in their forties, yeah. mm. and then other times it'd be just kids. What about like let's take like the guest tower at Glastonbury? Like I was there. And that was an amazing show, but those guys not, you know, they don't pay to see specifically you and you're in their context and their world. Yeah. Does that change your approach a little bit? Or? Oh yeah, I yeah. mean, that was, Gastow was a, was yeah. a definite thing because I'd already played my sort of big production set mm. uh, at um, in Silver Haze. Yeah. And then I'd done a weird underground show in the rabbit hole the night before. Yeah. And then it's like the gas tower, and then I went up there in the afternoon, and mm. I kind of know what the vibe is up there. It's like I think that and yeah. What time was that show? Like early early morning, right? Yeah, it's like two to four. Something okay, like that. so not so it's late at night. You're yeah. up in the naughty corner. Yeah, yeah. And so it's got to be pretty ballsy, yeah. and don't worry so much. And then I'm like. So I was building a crate, mm. which now is, you know, I was saying about my template yeah. crates, I've got a template crate, which is gas tower. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah. that was, so yeah, I just, because I'd already been embroiled in Gastonby for a couple of days, I'm kind of yeah, yeah. I'm in the moment. So I just sort of created this crate of like slightly more underground than mm. I normally play, because I felt that was fitting for where I would be. Yeah. Uh, and it really worked. Yeah. It really worked for them and it really worked for me. I really enjoyed exploring my more underground side. Yeah, no, it was great. And not yeah. having to have everything waves, wham, yeah. bam, you know, yeah. like last night. Mm. And so, yeah, so that, now that's just an, that's another template. Amazing, um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, a lot of the times you're playing the same, pretty much the same yeah. kind of set every night. Uh, but I, but there are but my mm. I have the most fun is when you you're in a venue or a situation where you can go off and play a different set. Yeah, that's when DJs start having fun. Yeah, are you, do you still have fun when you DJ, or is it kind of like is it a job, or are you? No, you you love it. You still loving I'm, it? Yeah, I'm not faking it up there. I okay, am yeah. having the time of my life. Yeah, I mean I have more of the time in my life when I don't feel that there's quite that many people looking at me the whole time and that I have to perform. Yeah, 
so, but I take pride in my work and I try and give a good show, so I'm working hard. Yeah. But then when I play mm. up the top of the Sky Tower yeah. this week, mm. uh, I'll, be, I'll be messing about and playing for two and a half hours. Yeah. And, uh, I'll, I'll be able to play, I'll be able to go on a more of a musical journey. There's, it's less scripted. Mm. So that's me having fun. But no, I mean, I enjoy the two. I enjoy yeah. being a performer, but that's the work side of it. Yeah. But I also enjoy playing in small clubs where yeah. you can wander off wherever Wh the crowd wants to go. Where's your favourite spots to DJ? Like, would it be like back home on, in Bryson or, or? Oh, there's a few. Yeah. There's a few. There's yeah. a place called The Arch in Brighton, which is the old Zap Club. Right. Which is a very famous club that's been there forever. And I, I play there mm. at least a couple of times a year. Yeah. And I play for like four hours and that's my- You love that, yeah. my home thing. Yeah. But then, then uh, Pike's in Ibiza, mm. in, yeah. Freddie in Freddie's room. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been in there. It's like, no. it's, it's not really a nightclub. It's Freddie Mercury's old suite at right, okay. Pike's Hotel. Yeah, yeah. That they've turned into a sort of very small nightclub. Wow. Yeah. And again, I play for four hours there and really get. Yeah. Yeah. You love they're, it, yeah. they're my favourite. It's when, you, when you're not. There's no pressure to perform. Yeah. It's you're just, just let's it. see where we go with yeah. this. Incredible. Um, so. How much are you influenced uh, creatively by external factors and wider issues such as like culture and politics and stuff? Does that, is that, part, does that come into your world or do you try to stay clear of that stuff or? I try, I've, got a, I've got a view on life. Mm -hmm. I've got a view on life and it's sort of political with a small p. And it's based around the mantra of life's not about me, it's about us. Not this just me, 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 mm. greed, 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 yeah. xenophobic, you know, it's like the world is all of us and we should all live in it together. Yeah. So that basically sort of boils down to sort of socialism, mm. but it also boils down to just let's love and look after each other. So there's a message in the show I try and put, I try and put as much positive mm. affirmations about what we can do together, yeah. all of us as a human race mm. or as us in this room tonight. Yeah and how much we can explore solidarity rather than difference. Mm. And within those boundaries, I like to have a message. And you know, whether it's yep. the lyrics of Praise You or Right Here, Right Now, I, I try and just not preach to people, but just nudge them mm. in a sense of like, it's all about love and it's all about us. Yeah. And that's all that matters, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. That, it, that's, you know, the general gist. I don't get too political, but then, when the situation demands, sometimes there's some things that have to be said. Mm. You know, putting Greta Thunberg into the show is uh, yeah. quite a departure. And at first people are like, are you sure about that? I'm like, yeah, I should really care about this shit. Okay, right, yeah. And yeah. I played it a few times and just you went could off. feel the crowd just go, fuck yeah, you feel this too. And yeah, it, you yeah. Know, it became, yeah. so again, politics with a small p, yeah. but it's a no brainer that, um, yeah, we need to protect this world that we live in. It's about us, it's not about me. Amazing. Um, so, last couple of questions. Uh, I guess you helped shape music culture. Um, what do you think is the relationship between contemporary music and culture and vice versa? Culture's an overused word, but like the music industry steeps into like modern pop culture and pop culture steeps into music. Yeah, do you have views on that relationship as such? Or do you just- I love it. Yeah. 
I mean, I love, I would call music part of the culture. Mm. Uh, they're, you know, on the, on the one hand, you've got advertising films. On the other hand, you've got an art gallery. But there you have music in the art gallery and you'll have, I mean, I, 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 I really love art. I really love street art and, and, and contemporary uh, art. And, then, and there's a tremendous crossover between music and art. But then, you know, but then you could include skating into that yeah, thing. Yeah. They, you know, there's, there's such a, a cross-pollination, like every single artist that I've liked, that I've got in touch with, they've all gone, oh, I really like your music. It's like, I was like, who'd have thought? It's like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I suppose it's no, you know, mm. the fact that I like what you do and you like, even though it's, yeah. you know, it's a different arena, it's still yeah. the same thought. So we've probably got the same idea about what culture is and mm. what culture turns us on. So, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, yeah, it can be quite tenuous links, but it, it, it is all tied up in creativity, hospitality. I mean, you could even say like, you know, if, if I go to a hotel and the food is, re and they really love their food and they make an effort to make really nice food, that's part of the art. Then the art that they've got on the walls mm. becomes part of it. The soundtrack that they have, it's music and food and art. And I think they're all, you know, I don't know where culture ends and, and you mm. know, music begins or, yeah, I mean, my great loves in life are good food, football, mm. art, music. And quite, then yeah. they all can mesh into one, you know, the, the, the amount of, uh, like the Venn diagram of, mm. of them is, is incredible. Do you consider your role, like in the music and the, I guess in culture, like back in the day, you might have just been having fun and making edits and stuff, but now that there's a generation and you've got kids that are doing music stuff, uh, do, you, do you feel like your role's changed to more of like an educator or is that something that's important to, to document the sound that was such a big part of culture for such a long time? Um, I think the most poetic and succinct way of putting it, a friend of mine, a journalist, once described me as a shepherd of moments. And I like that because mm. I'm not a great musician and I'm not a great, you know, role model or anything, but I just, I just shepherd yeah. moments around and try and give people mm. nights out or turn them on to new music. So mm. I'm happy with that. It's, it sounds poetic. It doesn't sound that overly important or vital and it doesn't sound like me bigging myself up that I'm a huge influencer or anything like that. But yeah. I'd just like to prod people in the right direction to have some fun, open their eyes to some stuff and love yeah. each other. Fair enough. Um, last question, it's kind of a big one and I ask uh, everyone this, but I guess how, Norman Cook, do you want your legacy to be remembered? Like, if someone was to bring you up in 50 years' time, what, how, yeah, how would you want people to remember you? It's kind of a somber question, but yeah. Uh, just, just being remembered is enough for me. I remember when I was young and I was really kind of ambitious. And someone said, what do you actually really want? You know, do you want the fame and fortune? And I'm like, I don't know. I, said, I just want someone to write an obituary when I die. Mm. And I think I've probably achieved that now. In fact, it's probably already written. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lined up. So, no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, just like to be remembered as someone who turned people on to smile and love each other and have a 
you know, and not take life too seriously. Made a couple of good records. Played a, played a, played some gigs. People got high. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Well, Norman, thanks for talking to Casual Swim. That's all right. Amazing. Nice to be here. Yeah.